Pro-lifers aren't the only ones who say the unborn is a human being from the moment of conception. Pro-lifers aren't the only ones who call abortion killing. Pro-lifers aren't the only ones who point out that the arguments for abortion work equally well to justify killing infants and the cognitively disabled. Abortion defenders admit this as well. So you can quote these evil degenerates, but intellectually consistent degenerates and abortion leaders to your pro-choice friends the next time you're in a debate over abortion. Not because I say so, but because the people who kill babies and defend killing babies say so themselves. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Welcome back to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and Happy New Year once again. Um, before we dive into this content, which I think you'll really like, I compiled a whole list here for you of admissions from pro-abortion leaders. Some of them are abortionists. Some of them are philosophers that the abortion industry looks to as their intellectual thought leaders. And they all admit many of the things that I say in my arguments against the pro-abortion position as well. But before we dive into that, if you enjoy this show, if this has been valuable to you at all, would you consider giving us a rating and review? It really helps. Everyone says that, but it really does makes the show show up higher in the charts in also related content on the podcast platforms so more people are exposed to the show. Uh, give us five stars. Let us know what you think in a rate in a review. Uh, we really appreciate that. And if you want to support this show, go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Uh, to help us expand the production value, number of episodes, and type of content we create. So here are abortion defenders in their own words. Uh, <laughs> and this is particularly powerful to do in a debate over abortion, isn't it? Or in a conversation you have with a friend. You know, always go out of your way to cite your opponent's writings and statements to bolster your own points. I mean, this is what good debaters do, right? Uh, anytime I prepare for, for a debate, Several years ago, I, I went and did a bunch of research on the woman I was debating, and I watched previous debates of hers, and anything I could find that she had said about abortion or philosophy to bolster my own points. And so, listen, don't make your pro-life argument purely by citing science, of course you should do that, or purely by citing thought leaders in the pro-life movement, though that's fine as well. Make sure that you're also citing people who disagree with you, people who defend abortion, people who profit off of killing babies to make your points for you. And then if your pro-choice friends are like, oh, no, I, that's kind of weird. I don't really know what to say to that. <laughs> then that's wonderful. You've done a good job, right? You put a stone in their shoe when you're having conversations about the right to life of the pre-born because now they have to reconcile with the fact that the points you're making as a pro-lifer are also acknowledged by key leaders in the abortion industry, the abortion movement, right? So that's why that, that's significant and important. And I think what we'll go ahead and do is <clears throat> we'll go ahead and compile these in a PDF as well um, and make it available to some of our patrons. So again, if, you, if you'd like to have a nice PDF of this on your phone forever, uh, patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Uh, again, we really appreciate the support. And the show has grown a lot, and we're reaching more and more people um, who reach out to us and say that they are engaging in sidewalk counseling outside of abortion centers now 
and they're building pro-life ministries at their church and they're volunteering at pregnancy centers um, because of the show um, or mom saying that because their, their daughter's engaged because of the show. So um, you're really supporting uh, um, us getting people into the game, which is really the most important thing for ending this genocide. So let's start with Peter Singer. Okay, I have cited Peter Singer many times to you before and in my public speeches. Peter Singer is one of the oldest and biggest degenerates in the, in the philosophical side of the pro-abortion movement. Peter Singer is a professor of philosophy at Princeton University. And in his book, Practical Ethics, which I believe is from the 90s, that's right, 93, he makes some damning statements and admissions. Peter Singer is the intellectually consistent pro-abort, meaning that he doesn't stop at justifying the killing of human beings at birth. He's intellectually honest enough to say, well, any argument used to justify killing the unborn would also work for killing babies up to probably one year old. And Peter Singer is, is infamous for defending infanticide. I mean, like literally, intellectually and philosophically providing arguments for why it should be okay to kill infants as well. So he has a great line here um, about that exact point. And I believe this is from his book, Practical Ethics. He says, the liberal search for a morally crucially dividing line between the newborn baby and the fetus has failed to yield any event or stage of development that can bear the weight of separating those with a right to life from those who lack such a right. Okay, I know that can be sort of hard to break down. Let me say it again and then I'll, I'll simplify it. He says, the liberal search for a morally crucially dividing line between the newborn baby and the fetus. So what he's saying, he's saying, we have tried to find a dividing line that is so stark and clear between the unborn baby and the infant such that we could justify our slaughter of the former but not the latter, right? Our slaughter of the unborn but not the infant. He said this liberal search for this dividing line, this morally crucially dividing line between newborn baby and fetus has failed to yield any event or stage of development, okay, that can bear the weight of separating those with a right to life from those who lack such a right to life. <laughs> right? That's, a, that's powerful, coming from one of the most uh, popular and credible defenders of abortion, at least in, in the culture, right, and by, acknowledged by the pro-abortion movement. He's saying we can't find this morally powerful dividing line that could, or stage of development, that can bear the weight of, of saying here are those who have a right to life and here are those who don't have a right to life. <laughs> Uh, here's some more from Peter Singer. This is from his book, Practical Ethics, from 1993. He says, It is possible to give human being a precise meaning. We can use it as the equivalent to member of the species Homo sapiens. Whether a being is a member of a given species is something that can be determined scientifically by an examination of the nature of the chromosomes in the cells of living organisms. In this sense, there is no doubt that from the first moments of its existence, an embryo conceived from human sperm and eggs is a human being. So these two together actually make a really powerful point. Listen to this. Peter Singer is saying in this one, yeah, you can determine scientifically when human life begins. It's the moment of conception. I mean, there's no doubt that from the first moments of its existence, an embryo conceived from human sperm and eggs is a human being. But if you've watched Peter Singer debate before, 
uh, on abortion. By the way, there's a good debate with my friend uh, Stephanie Gray debating Peter Singer a year and a half ago or so on YouTube. You know, and he'll say this. He'll say, of course, the unborn is a human being, but they're not a person, right? We've heard that before, right? Or they don't have sort of the cognitive abilities or functions that he ascribes to personhood and therefore he ascribes to a right to life. But he's acknowledging it's a human being. But what was the first quote from Peter Singer? Uh, when, but when we, as liberals, when we try to find that crucially morally significant dividing line between the unborn and the born and those with a right to life and those without a right to life, uh, we can't really find it. There's nothing that can bear the weight of that dividing line. <laughs> so you put those together, Peter Singer saying, the unborn is a human but not a person, only persons have rights. Oh, also, figuring out the line between who are persons and who are not and who has a right to life and who doesn't is really hard to figure out. <laughs> so that's pretty damning critique against the pro-abortion argument by one of the most, um, one of the oldest defenders of that belief. And here's one more from Peter Singer. And, and here's where he goes full infanticidal uh, Herod maniac. He says, when the death of a disabled infant, infant, okay, outside the womb, when the death of a disabled infant will lead to the birth of another infant with better prospects of a happy life, the total amount of happiness will be greater if the disabled infant is killed, if the disabled infant is murdered. The loss of the happy life for the first infant is outweighed by the gain of a happier life for the second infant. Therefore, if killing the hemophiliac infant has no adverse effect on others, it would, according to the total view, be right, be right to kill him, to murder him if it would have no adverse effects on others. <laughs> who, I don't know, the parents, the doctors who kill the baby, yeah, if it doesn't bug them, if it doesn't hurt them in any way. Hey, at least I'm not the one being aborted, right? <laughs> this, is, this guy is a sicko, right? I mean, in a healthy society, Peter Singer would have been fired from Princeton University decades ago for, for writing the absolute filth that he writes. Okay, so there's some abortion uh, um, defenders, well, one in their own words. Here's an interesting one. And my good friend, Dr. Mark Newman, if you listen to the interview with Dr. Mark Newman um, about the California Future of Abortion Council a couple weeks ago, he mentioned this. And I had, I had seen this before and um, maybe used it in a talk years ago, but I had forgotten about it. So I wanted to bring this to your attention. This is from California Medicine um, in September of 1970 in a piece called A New Ethic for, Medi and, for Medicine and Society. And they, and they are defending abortion, okay? So th this is not from pro-lifers, okay? So California Medicine Journal, okay? Uh, 1970, three years before abortion's legalized. Here's what they say. Since the old ethic has not yet been fully displaced, it has been necessary to separate the idea of abortion from the idea of killing, which continues to be socially abhorrent. <laughs> <laughs> and what they talk about here, the old ethic, meaning like the Judeo-Christian ethic, like the pro-life ethic. Since the old ethic has not yet been fully displaced and gotten rid of, um, it's necessary for us to separate the idea of abortion from the, uh, the idea of killing. Because killing kind of sounds mean. It kind of sounds like maybe like, I don't know, like wrong, <laughs> which they say killing, which continues to be socially abhorrent. The result of, of this, they're saying, has been a curious, a curious avoidance of the scientific fact, which everyone really knows that human life begins at conception and is continuous, whether intra or extra uterine until death. <laughs> there you go. From the pro-aborts in 1970, right? Have you ever heard people say, well, we can't really agree on when human life begins. Like people don't agree. Well, California medicine is 
saying in 1970, before Roe versus Wade was authored, they're saying there's a curious avoidance of the scientific fact, which we all really know, that human life begins at the moment of conception and is continuous, whether intra or extra uterine until death. They continue, the very considerable semantic gymnastics that are required to rationalize abortion as anything but the taking of a human life would be ludicrous if they were not often put forth under socially impeccable auspices. <laughs> Let me translate that for you. They're saying, um, we have to resort to linguistic gymnastics in order to justify abortion through euphemisms um, because because abortion is the taking of a human life. And so we have to work extra hard to use language to reinvent reality. Um, and uh, these semantics would be ludicrous um, if abortion was put forth as anything but the taking of a human life. Uh, I mean, pretty amazing, right? They're admitting how the left and the abortion industry uses language to manipulate reality. Let me read that to you again. The, the considerable semantic gymnastics which were required to rationalize abortion as anything but the taking of a human life would be ludicrous if they were not put, often put forth under socially impeccable auspices. What does that mean? It means um, uh, euphemisms. It means false compassion. It means uh, my body, my choice. It means, but I want to be a, a better mother to my children I already have. It means um, abortion is necessary for women's rights and women's equality to be equal with men. Socially impeccable auspices. They finish and say, it is suggested that this schizophrenic sort of subterfuge is necessary because while a new ethic is being accepted, the old one has not yet been rejected. What was that old ethic? The Judeo-Christian ethic, that human beings have value simply in virtue of their human nature with rights that come from God because they've been endowed by their creator with these inalienable rights. What's the new ethic? We shall be as gods. We get to decide who is in and out of the human or personhood family and who gets rights and who doesn't. And this schizophrenic sort of subterfuge, this, these euphemisms, these semantic gymnastics are necessary because that old ethic still has a lot of sway in how Americans think about morality and abortion. California Medicine, 1970. Here's Dr. Warren Hearn. Dr. Warren Hearn was an abortionist. He killed thousands of children. And he wrote a textbook training medical students on how to do it. And he called the textbook Abortion Practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to practice them. Got to get better at them. And it's the leading medical textbook today that teaches students how to kill abortion. And uh, Dr. Warren Hurd, author of Abortion Practice, told uh, a Planned Parenthood conference years ago. Listen to this. He told a Planned Parenthood conference years ago we have reached a point in this particular technology where there is no possibility of denying an act of destruction by the operator. It is before one's eyes. The sensations of dismemberment flow through the forceps like an electric current. The sensations of dismemberment. Dismembering what? A baby. A human child. And it's, there's no possibility, he says, of denying an act of destruction. And those, dis, those, the sensations of dismembering that child flow through the forceps like an electric current. Well, there you go. There's expert testimony, huh, from an abortionist himself. A, here's another one. A New Mexico abortionist uh, was even more candid. And this is from American Medical News, July 12, 1993. 
in a piece called Abortion Providers Share Inner Conflicts. Yeah, the piece was called Abortion Providers Share Inner Conflicts. And here's what this New Mexico abortionist had to say in 1993, two years after I was born. He says, paradoxically, I have angry feelings at myself for feeling good about doing a technically good procedure which destroys a fetus, kills a baby, end quote. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that, right? Reality does tend to be self-evident, doesn't it? This dude's literally saying, I kind of feel weird that I feel good about this because I am killing babies. Paradoxically, I have angry feelings at myself for feeling good about doing a technically good procedure which destroys a fetus and kills a baby. You're not supposed to call them babies, remember? They're just insensate blobs of tissue. They're just potential people. Uh, and yet, people who kill babies say, oh yeah, I kill babies, and I feel really bad that I feel good about it. Ugh, sickos. Here's Ronald Dworkin. Okay, Ronald Dworkin wrote a 1994 book called Life's Dominion, an argument about abortion, euthanasia, and individual freedom. And yes, he does defend abortion in the book, okay? I'm, I'm only citing abortion defenders to you, abortion leaders. Here's what Ronald Dworkin says in his 1994 book. Abortion, abortion, which means deliberately killing a developing human embryo, is a choice for death. Abortion, which deliberately kills a developing human embryo, is a choice for death. So abortion is death, so abortion kills human beings. We're going to dive into more of these uh, as we just finish up. And again, this will be powerful for you um, to, to use in, in conversations for abortion. But first, I want to share this exciting conference with you again. We want to see you there. If you're in California, please make the trip down there. Love Life California 2022, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, January 29th. Last Saturday of this month, January 29th, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, um, we are going to take back life in California. Listen, everything starts here in California. You know the, 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 the tragic statement, what happens in California doesn't stay in California, or as goes California, so goes the country. That's been true on politics. That's been true on education. That's been true on curriculum. That's been true in a lot of different ways. And people say, Seth, why are you still in California? Well, because if all the good people leave, we are royally screwing California over. Uh, the left has been committed to the long walk through the institutions for decades to upend society and recreate it in their own image. It's not a short game, it's a long game. And we want to take back life in California. However, you can shorten that long game with what? With an awakened church who's committed to contending for life in the public square. The body of Christ unified in a united front to take back life. What would it look like if you had hundreds of churches across California and thousands of Christians outside of their local abortion centers praying, shutting down centers, bankrupting them because not enough women are coming in, praying, saving lives, and mentoring the families who choose life? We could change the narrative and flip this country. And it all starts with life, right? Because as long as abortion is part of American jurisprudence, we're not going to be able to protect any other freedom or liberties in the long term. So this conference is to educate, equip, and encourage you to take back life and give you a game plan to go back to your communities to end abortion, save human beings, and reassert the church's spiritual obligation to contend for truth in the public square, and that starts with life. We're having Jack Hibbs. We're having Kurt Cameron. We're having Melissa Odin, the abortion survivor. We're having Anthony Levitino, the former abortionist who's now a pro-life advocate. We're having Monica Klein, the former Planned Parenthood sex educator. We're having John Amanchukwu, who's a, a, a pastor and leader for pro-life. We're having, and now I'm excited to announce, Nick Vujicic with Life Without Limbs. 
um, one of the most sought-after motivational keynote speakers in the world today, who's starting Pro-Life Bank with my friend Betsy Gray. I'll be speaking as well. It's going to be an incredible conference. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to lovelifecalifornia.org, lovelifecalifornia.org. Uh, come in person, but we have virtual tickets if you'd like to tune in for the live stream if you're outside of California. Tune in for that as well. You'll love it. Here's your promo code for 25% off all ticket sales, unaboarded25, unaborted25 for 25% off all ticket sales so you can join us uh, virtually or in person. Um, and we're going to take back life in California, but it always starts with the church. And we are seeing a stirring happening in the church I have spoken at more churches in the last um, 11 months uh, than in all 11 years of, of my speaking on abortion. And we're trying to ride that wave to take back life. So join us. It's going to be an amazing conference, and we think that there will be eternal fruit and human beings who will be saved um, through this conference and, and through the fruit that will come from this. So we're going to dive into it more in just one second, but please sign up for the conference. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, and I think you'll regret it if you do miss it. So at least tune in on the live stream, lovelifecalifornia.org, uh, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. All right, welcome back, guys. We're gonna keep. We're gonna give you some more uh, firepower here. These are abortion leaders in their own words. Um, you're probably scrambling to write some of these down already because of how damning. Um, these admissions are from people who kill babies and people who defend killing babies that can make our points for us in debates and conversations on abortion. Uh, and so I got some more for you for you here. This will be an incredible evergreen episode. Uh, share this with pro-choice friends, um, pro-choice moderates, um, and, and then others um, who are, are not really aware of, of how this debate um, has divided America and even the church, who we were just talking about, continues to remain apathetic and silent. Here's Faye Waddleton. Okay, Faye Waddleton is a former Planned Parenthood president. Faye Waddleton is a former president of Planned Parenthood. And in 1997, Faye Waddleton told Miss Magazine in an interview the following. Okay, this was called an interview called Speaking Frankly in the May-June 1997 edition of Miss Magazine. She said, I think we have deluded ourselves into believing that people, don't know what that, that people don't know that abortion is killing. So any pretense that abortion is not killing is a signal of our ambivalence, a signal that we cannot say, yes, it kills a fetus. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is gnarly, right? Because you hear people like Cecile Richards, the, the former president of Planned Parenthood before their new one, Alexis McGill Johnson, always say thing, abortion is health care, right? Uh, abortion is reproductive justice. Abortion is women's rights. And yet circa 1997, you had Planned Parenthood presidents saying, we're kind of deluding ourselves into believing that people don't know that abortion is killing. But they will never use that language today, right? Oh, goodness. They will never use that language today. Killing? Ooh, right? That's socially abhorrent, right? Right, why? Because most people kind of just know that at a self-evident level. And so she says that any pretense that abortion is not killing is a signal, it's a sign of our ambivalence, a signal that we cannot say, yes, it kills a fetus, right? Because if you acknowledge reality, 
more people are awakened to what's really happening, and then they might not support your agenda. Naomi Wolf uh, is one of the most prominent sort of leading feminists and authors in the country. And I, I, I've long appreciated Naomi Wolf because of her intellectual honesty. You'll see Naomi Wolf, by the way, actually appear sometimes on podcasts and interviews that are conservative, right-leaning podcasts. Um, so in a sense, she's a little bit more of an old-school liberal. Uh, she wouldn't describe herself, I think, as a leftist, I believe, or a leftist activist. But she's still pro-abortion, right? Um, but she's just more intellectually honest, kind of like Peter Singer, which kind of just makes it all that more disturbing when they're so intellectually honest in taking their premises to their horrific and natural conclusion. But I guess credit where credit's due. Um, she wrote in the, the left-wing uh, New Republic uh, journal or, or um, magazine that, that pro-choicers were deceiving themselves with dehumanizing speech. And here's what Naomi Wolf says. She says, clinging to a rhetoric, clinging to a rhetoric about abortion in which there is no life and no death, we entangle our beliefs in a series of self-delusions, <clears throat> fibs, and evasions, and we risk becoming precisely what our critics charge us with being, callous, selfish, and casually destructive men and women who share a cheapened view of human life. We need, we, she's saying as pro-aborts, we need to contextualize the fight to defend abortion rights within a moral framework that admits, admits that the death of a fetus is a real death. <laughs> How gnarly is that admission, right? Naomi Wolf is saying, She's saying, if we continue to lie to ourselves that there is no life and death at stake in the abortion debate, we risk becoming what pro-lifers say we already are, casually destructive men and women who share a cheapened view of human life. So she says, let's just own it, shall we? Let's acknowledge reality and admit and contextualize our arguments for abortion within a moral framework that admits that, yes, the death of a fetus is a real death. It's not removing potential tissue or pregnancy tissue or an insensate blob of flesh. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for your honesty, Naomi Wolf. Thank you for your honesty. I hope your honesty awakens others to just how much of a degenerate you are and how far, far you're willing to go to carry your premises to their most horrific conclusion. Here's another leading feminist. Uh, her name is Camille uh, Paglia, Camille Paglia. And she was even more blunt in a 2008 Salon article, Salon.com article, okay? Here's what she said. Um, Hence, I have always frankly admitted that abortion is murder. <laughs> That's a little bit more honest than Naomi Wolf, yeah? Hence, I have always frankly admitted that abortion is murder. The extermination of the powerless by the powerful. By the way, is that not a great definition of genocide? The extermination of the powerless by the powerful? She says, liberals for the most part have shrunk from facing the ethical consequences of their embrace of abortion, which results in the annihilation of concrete individuals and not just clumps of insensate tissue. Ho! Woo! Which results in the annihilation, annihilation of concrete individuals and not just clumps of insensate tissue. Notice she doesn't even call it a fetus, right? Like Naomi Wolf will still say that we need to admit that the death of a fetus is a real death. 
and we know how pro-aborts use the term like embryo and fetus in a dehumanizing way, even though it's just scientific language that refers to a human being at a specific stage of their physical development, but they use it in a dehumanizing way, right? Like it's a fetus, it's a fetus, it's an embryo. What, but Camille Paglia goes that abortion results in the annihilation of fetuses? No, no, of concrete individuals and not just clumps of insensate tissue. Uh, that's probably one of the most honest lines um, that has ever been written or spoken by a popular pro-abortion leader and defender. So there you go. Um, this is one I, I, I shared, um, I think, in a, a, a recent episode that we had done um, about that article that uh, defended infanticide. Um, and <clears throat> we went through that a few weeks ago. And Jeff McMahon is a, is a pro-abortion uh, philosopher. I'm forgetting the name of his book right now, um, but he has written extensively uh, on defending abortion. Uh, let me pull it up now. Um, uh, he's written uh, The Right to Choose an Abortion, The Ethics of Killing. Um, that may be the one that this is from. So Jeff McMahon has written entire books defending abortion, um, as well as... Um, uh, academic articles and journals, okay? And he admits, Jeff McMahon, he admits that the pro-abortion position cannot make sense of or defend this idea of human equality. Human equality. Oh, wait, equality? Equality. You mean the thing that pro-choicers use to defend abortion, that we need abortion for women's equality because they're equal? Well, he's saying, well, if we're honest, the pro-abortion position can't really reconcile with human equality. And here's what he says, okay? This is, this is powerful. He's one of the leading philosophers um, creating the arguments defending abortion. And he says, all this leaves me profoundly uncomfortable. It seems virtually unthinkable to abandon our egalitarian commitments. But the challenges to our position, what challenges? The pro-life position's challenges to their position. The challenges to our position support skepticism about the compatibility of our beliefs with the fact that the properties on which our moral status appears are all matters of degree. It is hard to avoid the sense that our egalitarian commitments rest on distressingly insecure foundations. All right, what is Jeff McBann saying here? I know some of this language is, is a little bit uh, philosophical. He's saying that when pro-lifers critique our position by saying that, hey, you're saying that human value is based on degreed properties, like self-awareness, right? But do we all have the same degree of self-awareness? No. Hey, Jeff, you're saying that human personhood and a right to life is, is based on the ability to feel pain, but do we all feel pain to the same degree? No. Hey, Jeff, you're saying that the right to life is based on desires, and so if you desire a right to life, um, then you have it, but if you're not aware of your own desires for a right to life, like an unborn fetus, then you don't have a right to life. But hey, doesn't desires come in varying degrees as well, Jeff? Uh, you see what I mean? So he's saying that the pro-life critique against our argument actually does support skepticism about the compatibility of our beliefs with the fact that the properties on which our moral status appears are all matters of degree. Okay, right, so he's saying that if you base human rights on things that come in varying degrees, it would follow that, therefore, that rights come in varying degrees. So those, for example, who have a greater self-awareness or more desires 
would have a greater right to life than those who have less of a self-awareness or less desires, right? That's what he's saying. And this is what Lincoln said in regards to the pro-slavery arguments, right? Lincoln said, you say A is white and B is black. It is color then. The lighter has the right to enslave the darker. Take care, by this rule, you are to be a slave to the first man you meet with a skin fairer than your own, right? You see, Lincoln saying, well, skin color comes in varying degrees. So if you base rights on things that come in varying degrees, it follows that rights therefore come in varying degrees, okay? Jeff is responding to the same critique by pro-lifers against the pro-abortion position. And he's saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. It you're, you're right, your critique does cause me to be skeptical about, about the compatibility of my pro-choice position with the fact that all of the, the functions and properties on which personhood appears are all matters of degree. And so therefore he says, it's hard to avoid the sense that our egalitarian commitments rest on distressingly insecure foundations. What he's saying there is that, ah, I may not be able to provide a philosophical defense of this idea of human equality between the sexes, between the races, between the ages, when I'm grounding those rights on things that in and of themselves appear gradually and in varying degrees. <laughs> so I hope that made sense. I tried to break that down. That's what he's saying. And he's saying all this leaves me profoundly uncomfortable. So there's a, a leading uh, philosopher who defends abortion saying that the best arguments he has come up with um, still um, do not cause him to remain comfortable um, with his position. Uh, here's Anne Freudy. Anne Freudy is, I, I believe still is, and if not recently was, the CEO of the largest independent abortion provider in the UK. And she admitted in a 2008 debate the following. She said, we can accept that the embryo is a living thing in the fact that it has a beating heart, that it has its own genetic system within it. She says, it's clearly human in the sense that it's not a gerbil, and we can recognize that it, it is human life. We can recognize that it is human life, uh, but it's not a person, right? And it doesn't have rights like I do. And again, anytime the term human from person has been separated, uh, disastrous consequences have followed, okay? Uh, Alan Guttmacher, the former president of Planned Parenthood, another former president of Planned Parenthood. And you've heard me cite the Guttmacher Institute, right? The Guttmacher Institute is essentially Planned Parenthood's statistical research branch. And at one point, they were the same organization. Uh, and now you have the Guttmacher Institute named after Alan Guttmacher, former president of Planned Parenthood. He said in Life in the Making, on page three in Life in the Making, here's what Alan Guttmacher said regarding, um, uh, when, uh, regarding whether people know human life begins at the moment of conception, okay? He says, this all seems so simple and evident that it is difficult to picture a time when it wasn't part of the common knowledge. What, when, it wasn't, when, was, when what wasn't part of the common knowledge? That human life begins at the moment of conception, okay? In Life in the Making, in page three, you'll notice he's referring to the science of when human beings begin. He says, this is all seems so simple and self-evident. It's hard to picture a time when it wasn't part of the common knowledge. Meaning, yeah, we all kind of know this, right? And last one, here's David Boonin. David Boonin wrote a book called A Defense of Abortion. <laughs> Can't get much more clear than that. In 2003, uh, there's also an excellent debate between David Boonin and Peter Kreft on abortion several years ago. And he says in his book, he says, a human fetus, after all, 
is simply a human being at a very early stage in his or her development. A human fetus, after all, is simply a human being. And they're just at a very early stage in their development. And so David Boonin, <clears throat> like Peter Singer, Singer and Jeff McMahon, will say, yeah, but they don't have a right to life until they're more <clears throat> developed enough to have certain functions that I say, that I say as an elitist, you have to have in order to have a right to life and to have personhood. And then one more just occurred to me from Peter Singer. We'll add this to the PDF. I, I forgot to write this one down. But Peter Singer has admitted in, in some of his writings, and we'll cap the show with this since we started with Peter Singer. He, he says that um, you can't arbitrarily draw a line at birth to spare the newborn, right? Meaning that like the arguments for abortion don't allow you to arbitrarily say, yeah, but my arguments for killing that being, those arguments cease to work at birth. After birth, then that child has a full right to life and personhood and should be protected. And Peter Singer has said, ah, eh, you can't really do that. You can't arbitrarily draw a line at birth to spare the newborn because all the arguments that work for killing the unborn also work for killing the newborn. Uh, again, these are from the leading uh, pro-abortion voices, philosophers, and abortionists. So those are abortion defenders, abortion leaders in their own words. Um, the, this would, you know, would be fun exercise. Uh, commit some of these to memory and then just roll them off when you're in a conversation on abortion or just keep them as a PDF uh, on your phone and whip that, whip that bad boy out and, uh, and show people that, um, that your points are not correct because you say so, but because the people who defend killing babies say so. Well, thanks for joining me today, guys. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. Again, really helps us reach more people. If you would like to watch this show visually, of course, subscribe at YouTube. It's a different experience. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule, which uh, we need to update, and uh, also to book me for an event as 2022 is filling up quickly. And if you want to support the show, once again, patreon.com forward slash unaborted. We really appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Oh, my God.